What if artists earned the same as everybody else? Research this year shows New Zealand artists are still earning considerably less than other wage earners. 37000 a year compared to a general median wage in New Zealand of about 62000 But there are some fledgling efforts to turn things around. Overseas, a universal basic income is being trialled post-COVID for artists in Ireland, and there's even a modest trial here in the Waikato. Here, also, Creative New Zealand have recognised we've got a problem. They've developed a remuneration policy, a sort of a guide to what artists should be being paid. So joining me on Culture 101 to discuss artists getting paid the same as everyone else uh, have been Basement Theatre Executive Director Kat Rooker, the CEO of Creative Waikato, Dr Jeremy Mayle, and artist, writer and broker Melissa Lang. Now, Melissa Lang has previously criticised the low recommended hourly rate proposed by Creative New Zealand for Artists, which was $25 per hour. This week, however, Creative New Zealand announced they have risen it to $30 per hour. So I started by asking Melissa, isn't this cause for celebration? I think we should be celebrating that they have raised it, but they're still sitting with the inherent problem that I was criticising, which is Creative New Zealand doesn't make a distinction between a wage or salary rate and a contract rate. Yes. So it's brilliant that Creative New Zealand has put up that it up to $30. And they even in their information state to organisations that they need to also factor in holiday pay and sick pay. But they don't make any explanation or note of the difference between the wage and the contract. And when you make, when you are a contractor, you are carrying your own holiday pay, your own sick pay, your own ACC. You're carrying your un- unbillable or unchargeable hours and you're carrying all these other costs which you need to load into your rate. And artists who are experienced are loading that into their rate, but artists who are inexperienced look at that $30, or when it was 25 25 and go, yay, I'll put that in, and not think about that that's actually a 30-hour contract that they're going to have to cover a whole lot of other costs for. Yes, it's not like they're working 40 hours, 49 uh, weeks of the year are they at that right. rate either so th- there is the kind of gig economy as it gets called and uh, le- let's just talk a little bit about what the importance of that remuneration policy is I mean Kat I think you were involved in an advisory capacity with CNZ as well it's really what the industry looks to isn't it I mean they have to look somewhere to what they will pay as a minimum and they look to Creative New Zealand is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think CNZ is sort of, you know, naturally we, we look to them to sort of sit at the centre of this conversation and I'm sort of definitely, you know, totoko everything that Melissa is saying and then I think there's another part to it which is the socialising of this policy across all of the major sort of arts organisations to come to the party and to, you know, answer to this this whole remuneration conversation as well. Um, it takes a whole ecology for a culture to shift, I think, and I think that that's the next sort of step. So there's some nuance to be brought to this whole project um, and I'm the part that I'm most interested in is yeah the socialising of the policy across our arts organisations. Yeah well is $30 enough? I'm just going to ask the basic question. I mean it's mm. a couple of years Melissa since you were saying 30 should be the minimum and you did all the maths. The cost of living has gone up hugely since then. We all, we all, all know this. I mean should we be asking for more? Absolutely. I mean, I think actually I argued that 39.90 was a minimum Uh, that Creative New Zealand should be recommending for contractors. And that if we were even thinking about the stability of a field, thinking about it as business, we should be loading 15% growth into that so that my, my final number was 45.88 per hour for an early career practitioner. 
And that was that was based on a set of advice that uh, ANZ put out for all contractors. So really kind of also I think it's they're socialising the idea that we should be charging our value. Let's be clear here, we're not talking about public purse money. We're talking about a sort of a recommended minimum wage in the way that we have across other industries, aren't we? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, one of the guidelines that's sitting in the current policy that I've been involved in is a, a guideline that sort of says that we must be going for, that across the board, we must be going for better than minimum at all times. Um, and I think that that should just be... A, a really important mantra that we all sort of adopt across yeah, all parts of the ecosystem. We cannot be going for minimum. I absolutely agree with that. And also because what I hear from people is that that minimum acts as a tether. Exactly. And so people say, Creative New Zealand is recommending 30. We're paying 33. We are amazing. Mm, Which, I mean, mm. yes, they are lifting yeah. above, mm. but they won't go higher than 33 mm. because... Mm that 30 acts as a tether, or the 25 acts as a tether. And you yeah. see this in other kind of gig economy or low economy, low-wage economy jobs like um, hospitality, where a bar will be proud that they're paying $2 more than the minimum wage to their bar staff because that's above minimum wage. Jeremy, um, in Kirikiri Roa there in Hamilton, you, you're working really closely with a lot of artists in your community. What, what are your thoughts in terms of these minimums? Yeah, I mean, anything that um, sets a kind of a precedent to build from is, is useful but like um, has already been said kind of helping people to think about the broader context of their work and where that sits um, it's interesting for artists who are often as we see in the regions working across um, professional practice and community practice and kind of navigating those spaces and how you kind of understand um what you're doing in in that context and what is in kind and how we even articulate that level of support. So for those artists who are kind of working in those spaces and giving to communities, actually that's an investment into the sector as as well. And so what we see is that in some ways some of our artists are the biggest funders of the sector because of what they're doing in that in-kind support and how we articulate that value can be useful to frame as well for those groups. Um, So thinking about, like, if you're an artist who's contributing in those ways, invoicing for that time so that that cost is is kind of understood, even if that invoice is is offset by discounted rates or whatever. But knowing that my worth is this, within the context of this project, it's it's this, but I'm setting a clear precedent that my worth is this. So some some of it's education, isn't it? Now, you've got a scheme here, which at the moment in the Waikato, which is in a sense sort of putting some of this into action. Are you doing it with only 10 people? But mm-hmm. they're getting, what, $500 a week for a year? There's mentoring involved. It's called a multi-community artist and residency program. For the, uh, te tangata. Te tangata. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about how that's working? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, pilot version of essentially like a UBI pilot I guess. Yes I was going to ask is it really just a universal basic income? Yeah and I mean we call it a multi-community artist and residence program because it's very much about embedding artists in community as a way to kind of grow creative practice and serve well-being and do all these other things Um, but it is a pilot of a UBI and it's working with artists who are doing that work that often goes unpaid it's often that voluntary work it's often that thing that's connected with communities uh, who um, need that additional support or or are looking for kind of ways to catalyse the work that they're doing and so this is an opportunity to pay those people who are doing that work but to also it's not only just a kind of UBI payment it's a 
the mentoring support and connection with other artists in the sector and ensuring that those mentors are also paid for that work so that's not that's not free work so that's another 10 artists who um, have a payment for that mentoring work and then those artists also have access to a materials fund that they can use to support the work that they're doing in community so they're not having to apply for other funding to support that program so it's not just about the the payment that they get each week but it's these other kind of programs and support and building of community of practice around them that supports them to kind of be able to um, grow their work and hopefully articulate the impact of why having programs like this in our communities are so kind of transformative. So how are you testing it? I see that because the Irish have got this basic income for the arts scheme that they've launched where I think artists are getting $570 New Zealand a week for, for a couple, for two years is it, or three, I can't recall now. Um, but <laughs> essentially I think that they are kind of comparing how those artists go with another 2,000 artists who, are <laughs> who aren't on the scheme as to how they fare. How are you testing... The effectiveness of the scheme that you're doing, Jeremy? So we're not doing a um, comparison kind of approach. Um, what we're doing is um, looking at the, the impacts of what having those people in those communities. So, so it's looking at how we articulate that broader value proposition of why having people paid to do this work benefits more. So we're looking at kind of well-being measures um, that sit alongside the well-being research that we did um, last year and uses that as a kind of baseline for how that kind of impacts the communities that are being worked with. Um, but also alongside that we're doing... Um, sort of capturing stories around what this has meant for those artists, what it's meant for the relationship with the mentors, and we'll be um, tell- doing a lot of storytelling around that. I expect you've still got a way to go. Um, yes. What, what look, just opening up the conversation, I'm, I'm going back a little bit, but we're, we're coming up to an election, and I do remember in 2017 the Labour Party had a policy where they said they would re-establish the PACE scheme, that's the Pathways to Arts and Cultural Employment. It sometimes used to get called the Artist Dole. And then in 2020, they indeed brought in a PACE scheme, but as far as I could see, it was quite different in that it was essentially based around mentoring mainly. What, what you're doing there, Jeremy, feels a little bit more closer to it. Is an artist's benefit or a wage still a good idea? I mean, I, I, I think so. Um, I guess it's ha- like how it's framed that creative careers program that they're running we're also um, one of the providers of that so it's quite interesting to to be in that space and for us that's very much about um, capability building so it's it's workshops it's networking it's it's supporting artists that way but it's not giving that financial support for them to do that work Um, but we're in the Whiria Te Tangata project it is very much about that that financial support and and one of the things I will talk about in the nature of that project is we tried to also make the way that the um, application process didn't involve too much unpaid labour as well so there was a kind of simpler expression of interest and then an interview process and then from there we selected people kind of based on previous work rather than kind of intended work and the first chunk of time was them actually developing what their project and community engagement would be whilst they were paid to do that so it was trying to acknowledge that even in the way the funding models currently work there's a lot of unpaid labour associated with that. Kat when they announced the scheme they talked about it positively impacting a thousand creative careers there were five contracted providers they put four million dollars in it over two years what do you think's the result been do you think it's been a good thing? Are you talking about the the Irish one? Or no, not? I'm thinking of New Zealand here. I'm thinking of our government's oh, right. re-establishment of a pay scheme I based see. around mentoring. Yeah. 
look, I come from a generation of makers who, you know, a number of them were involved in the the initial PACE scheme. Um, yeah. And then I know some people who have been involved in the 2021. And I just think that we need to do better in terms of making these schemes accessible um, to a wider range of people and a wider range of makers. Um, a lot of people have found those schemes demoralising and hard to, you know, and have opted out due to the fact, you know, the original one was dispersed from MS, through MSD, I believe, and so there was, an, you know, a, a large amount of sort of administration work that would isolate and alienate people yes. from being able to engage in them. So I think, you know, and I was privileged enough to hear Sharon Barry speak in New York recently, who was the, the main kind of director and creator of the scheme happening in Ireland. Ah. And, you know, what she emphasised, I think, mostly was the way that they have been able to craft a programme in which artists don't have to jump through a thousand hoops and don't have to, um, you know, essentially be policed along the way. Um, And her kind of call out to other people thinking about exploring these sorts of programmes was to, yeah, dig deep into that part of it in order for all artists to be able to access it. I'm interested also in the money because it's interesting Mm. that I hear that the Irish scheme, it's over three years, it's costing in New Zealand dollars about $45 million. Now, in terms of COVID recovery, that's been a major plank. And we've invested, our ministry's put in like $495 million into a COVID recovery scheme where there have been a lot, there's been quite a lot of criticism of funding going to organisations rather than artists. With this kind of scheme, it, the money goes directly to independent artists. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think there's an argument too that's being had a lot at the moment of you know the the safest place for your investment to go in terms of investment in the arts is directly into the pockets of artists rather than these large arts organisations, and that's due to the risk associated with in, a, in the theatre world not knowing what the what audiences are up to and whether or not theatre in its current form should be saved or whether or not the money should just be going straight into the makers because they in turn will create their own infrastructures. So yeah, it's a really very topical issue. Kate, you've been involved in setting up last year Decency and Money Now or DAM, I mean, uh, 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 which is I guess what representing independent artists mm. as a need. Yeah, dignity and money now. Um, dignity and money now, sorry. No, that's all Same right. Same thing, decency and dignity. Same thing, yeah, both are important. <laughs> yeah, that that group was created just out of an organic need for uh, independent artists to just have somewhere to actually firstly vent with each other and um, have a safe space to heal together after what everybody has been through. Um, And I think our practices around finding creative ways to uh, explore uh, activism, because often, you know, it's, it's our independent artists that don't get a voice or don't get a seat at the table when we're having these big advocacy conversations. And I just want to again toe talk of the work that Melissa is doing, which is very much artist-centric. Um, and I think, yeah, if we're going to have change happen, I think artists have to be very much at the table and, and driving the conversation. And, and I definitely think, I mean, an equivalent around the same time, arts makers Aotearoa released mm. their um, yes. artist fee recommendation, which they based off some international work as well as local work, but they drew very strongly from the Working Artists in the Greater Economy, another New York-based organisation who for years has been advocating for a sliding scale of minimum fees for things like solo exhibitions, which 
when they start looking at the the large sorry I'm still talking about wage here when they start looking at the really large organizations they start saying well actually a solo show which takes you a year to put together should be a $60,000 fee and you look at that number and you go that would be nice and those <laughs> kinds of fees just don't seem to be being offered to artists for the solo shows mm. what arts makers Aotearoa put together on a kind of much more modest scale was a series of recommendations around like solo exhibitions, two-person exhibitions, and even those kind of top out at 5,000. And so you really go like, these are minim again, minimum standards or things that we need to be putting forward and advocating for as creatives to, to begin to lift that bar, to begin to change that psychology where the softest part of the budget is the artist or the performer. Mm. The bit that can give is the human, not the infrastructure or the the administrative staff, which then brings into something which I know Kat's also very um, kind of concerned with, which is the kind of equity issues around who gets to make mm. art, who has the support structures to be able to take you know a year off and mm. get five thousand dollars to make a project, and those historically have been kind of middle class people, people with wealth and infrastructure behind them, and if we're not investing at appropriate levels in our arts, then the people who don't have that kind of backing infrastructure don't get to thrive in the arts. Correct. Our well, art will get quite boring, won't it? <laughs> Very well, it, it's, it strikes me. <laughs> it strikes me, Melissa, that does actually hone in on something you're working on at the moment, which is research that you call sustainable community asset ownership, which is basically about property. So that we're kind of thinking around the fact that more than anything, we need places to make work sometimes. And um, having that access to the community art centres or to, I think you mentioned the Vogel Morn Bowling Club and Wellington is an artist-run space, the Old Folks Association in Auckland, places where, you know, where work can be created is an important part of this mix yeah absolutely and it's really looking at what's the missing missing kind of part of the discussion we have artist spaces which are provided by councils we have um and particularly i mean organizations where you have a peppercorn rent and so forth but the mo and we, we've seen this with the auckland council budget the moment auckland council starts contracting on its budget it starts looking to divest in spaces like start looking to divest in these kinds of investments where is the bit where the arts organizations own their own spaces and what are the myriad of interesting strategic ways in which organizations over the years have hustled swapped raised the money built their own infrastructures and how are those how are those spaces enabling thriving arts communities across Aotearoa well, it's it's coming up to election time. Every every party is out there trying to get votes. Jeremy, uh, with all of your experience, what are some of the things? I don't think we're going to see a UBI very quickly. Somehow, <laughs> the way that the politics is running at the moment. I mean, w there's some really strong ideas here that we can do. What are some of the other things we'd like you'd like to see? Having having um, yeah more funding going into the hands of artists, particularly those who are working in communities and and enabling that kind of activity to happen at a grassroots level, um, making sure that we have those creative spaces, like um, like Spence said, that those spaces are accessible and that, those, that people have them in all communities. And I think that those are the things that really change perspective and those are the things that really change people's ability to find the creative practice that resonates with them. I mean, even just seeing a, a level of kind of equity going into like the creative community scheme that because th those are the things that really enable really transformative activity in communities. And I mean, if we look at like the, it's for the entire country, it's like 
$5 million or, or something like that, 4 to $5 million. That's not a lot of money going into those community organisations who are often running on like nothing and the goodwill of, of volunteers to make really amazing things happen in communities all mm. around this country. I mean, doubling, tripling, quadrupling, that would be a great start. 